Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Lauren Isold. Uh, it's July 29th, 2020. We're uh, in Dayton, Oregon. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren. We really appreciate this. Thank you for having me. First question for you, and kind of the most important question for our purposes, is why wine? Why, why viticulture? Ooh. Um, I kind of just fell into it. I was raised in a Navy family, and we moved around a lot. And I spent sixth and seventh grade in Germany. And yeah, my dad was a big tennis player, and we went everywhere, all across Europe, and a lot of times that's surrounded by wine. Mm-hmm. So I think like when I was in sixth or seventh grade, I was drinking bull's blood in Hungary <laughs> and running around German cobblestone streets at wine fests. And yeah, so I went through my life loving geography, geology, cultural, anything, anything that makes you humble yourself. And um, yeah, I have ended up studying a couple different things in college and ended up with geography and map making and somehow did my thesis in like ecology of the Pacific Northwest from Virginia and I just really really loved it. I did a lot of like um, Columbia Valley GIS map making and following salmon with the dams and everything and um, didn't know what to do after college so was gonna move to Germany for two months to pull leaves. Um, And it ended up being three and a half years. Yeah, so I ended up getting my education, like a postgraduate um, viticulture enology degree over there, which was incredible. They don't really have systems like that here, where you work with the vineyard winery for about a year and the marketing as well. And then after that, you go somewhere else and you have theoretical training like once a week. Interesting. Yeah, so I really was hands-on and you know, in harvest, you're picking and then you're going into the cellar. And in the summer, I was out there not speaking German for a little bit and learning it really, really quickly. They thought I was shy. They were right, but <laughs> they thought I just was really quiet. <laughs> yeah. So that just turned into a love. And I fell in love with Pinot, actually, in Germany. I was in the Southwest. So I loved Riesling. And everyone I went to school with was pretty much a man or like a... a male um, who grew up in the wine industry, spoke German, and they had a farm at home. Like they had their own situation. So I was an anomaly over there. It felt like, and they kind of just took me in. And every weekend, you know, people had to go home and work with their families. And I would go with them sometimes and just got to see a lot of Europe again in a different way. And yeah, from that, I loved Riesling so much. And I, then I fell in love with Pinot because where I was, was about 60% red growing. They said it was great for potatoes. (laughs) So it's like, not for Riesling, but potatoes. And I really love music. So I decided to, um, but yeah, I ended up realizing you could travel a lot if you went into production. So I love the farming aspect so much and like being able to have to do everything while you're there. It just really kind of, lets you know what you think you want to do a little bit more, even at a young age. 
and I had the world kind of available so I could travel and work somewhere long enough to make enough money to get to the next place. Um, yeah, so I, I fell into production a little bit just to travel. Did a little bit in South Africa, um, Virginia, California. Um, I don't know. It's probably enough places. <laughs> so I'm gonna back up for a second. We'll get we'll get to those travels because I'm curious about that. But uh, backing up, what was what 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 prompted the interest in the Pacific Northwest? Why 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 were you studying uh, that in school? Uh, some of my favorite musicians <laughs> were from the uh, Pacific Northwest. Like I loved the Blow and Elliot Smith, and I just really really loved like it felt like there was a lot of humility out here, like a lot of artistic creation, but not with. And I don't get, I love glitter pop too, but I just really, I fell for it and I just really liked the, I felt like the integrity was really intact here. And I, you know, I carefully selected a wine growing region that had a city that had bands coming to it. And I thought Portland was really, really close <laughs> comparatively and it, it's not. <laughs> it's not, I tried to do the Portland commute for a long time and yeah, I worked at Belpont for uh, I don't know, almost a year, and I just, that drive was insane. But you gotta have that Portland nightlife, you know, you gotta get those really good nachos after work. <laughs> so I'm curious, as you, you, you mentioned, you, you kind of went to Germany on a, on a kind of on a whim after school and ended up staying. What, what about the work attracted you initially? What, what, what did you enjoy about the work in the vineyard and, and around wine? Um, I think I loved the culture. I really loved how it brought people together. I lived a really big part of my life which just got broken up thinking that no one didn't like wine. And I felt like it was a really uniting factor for everyone. You could completely have adverse opinions about so many things, but if this tastes good to you and like you feel like a better person when you have a sip and communal, like I really, I admired that a lot. And the wine world's changed as I've learned more about it. And there's a lot of political everything about everything. But I really appreciated that, and it served me for that time. <laughs> yeah. So as you set out to travel from there, what, how were you deciding where you wanted to go? What, were the, what, what, what was it about the regions you traveled to that appealed to you? It was mostly where I had friends or where I had a connection. Um, yeah, a lot of times when you're young and traveling, you'll meet someone who just came from somewhere or one of my best girlfriends um, in Germany, she, she came and did an internship while I was there at one of the wineries I was working at, and she was half Austrian, half South African. So that inevitably, she's like, here's my top 10 list of where to work in South Africa. And I was like, cool, I'll see you in a month. And I get there, and it's like a winery on a beach. And like, I was, I walked into like Crystal Lakes, and it was just, was like, where am I? <laughs> I was running with baboons, because I thought they were my friends. I was like, no, they want to kill you. <laughs> like, Okay, I made it. I lived through that. A lot of situations where after the fact, you're like, oh, that was lucky. And then yeah. what, brought, what brought you back to the United States? Um, my dad's health. Yeah, so I came and I lived with him for a little bit in Virginia. And he's really the catalyst. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, Dad. And he's like, when I was living in Maine, for eighth, ninth, and 10th grade, uh, our German cousin. So when we lived in Germany, my dad looked in the phone book and found an isolate. There's not very many of them, but we became very close friends with this family and they lived in a region that actually makes barrels, um, like a cooperage there mm -hmm. in Tübingen. 
and they're all doctors and they travel a lot, they love wine, but they have a daughter who came and lived with us in Maine while she attended Bowdoin for a year. And so it kind of felt like a little bit of a, hey, I'll help you come if you want to come, and hey, there's a school here if you want. And so I kind of, I did have a relationship that fostered an ease into something. As you're young, you don't know, you're like, well, I don't know what else to do, <laughs> and that sounds good. So there was like some like, why don't you just go to Germany if you don't know what you're doing? I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, Dad. Probably drinking a Moretti or something, you know? And off I go. Yeah, people there thought I was either the craziest person they'd ever met or the most courageous. I was like, I just didn't know what else to do. I don't know. <laughs> like, seemed like a good idea. At what, point, at what point did it start to feel like it might be more than just kind of a phase? Like there might be something you wanted to actually do for a while? Yeah, maybe last year. <laughs> okay, that recently. <laughs> no, I love it so much. Um, I took a break when I, in 2010, I left Belpont and followed my now ex, but he was my partner at the time and he got a job in Sonoma. And so I left Belpont, decided to move down there with him. We moved to Sonoma. I really, really was turned off by production down there. I worked at Acacia. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that place. I understand now more the markets and what that is, but it didn't really feed me. And so I left that and ended up working at a really cool farm called Green String Farm. And it's owned by Bob Klein, who owns Klein and couple other vineyards down there, but it's all about the string theory, <laughs> physics, and how you can farm beyond sustainable, beyond organic, growing for Chez Panis and like really high-end restaurants, like ethereal food by the moon, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just really like fell head deep back into farming, and I got um, a lot of experience with, you know, the vineyards there as well, and like compost tea, and just like what else you can do, and, and just kind of the mentality, like 50% for nature, you know, like what are we killing ourselves for? Like, do your best, be sh make sure you're there, and just expect like farming is farming. And um, once I fell back into farming, I was like, this is great. And then I started working back in viticulture again down there um, and really had a great boss uh, and helped me when a position became available with the transition of PPV to Atlas. Um, I applied for a VitTech position, and from Sonoma, I got the Oregon one, and I was really happy about that. And, and at that time, my ex moved for me back up here, and we just kind of bopped around and lived on different CalPERS properties that were like one, two, being sold off as we lived in them. Yeah, and started a little family. And just like, you know, sometimes you work because you need a job. Um, sometimes you find joy in that job and that's the goal and I really I loved being able to nurture my team like I after all the properties sold with that endeavor it was me um, I kept two of my favorite guys that I could keep and an office manager and the four of us started and we grew that back up to like a hundred people and 800 acres and like that for me is really soul feeding to see people being able to come to work um, feel satisfied with what they did the day, communicated, respected, and go home to their families safely and, you know, grow some really great fruit on top of it. Not everything has to be so cutthroat all the time or, mm -hmm. like, I just love the collaboration of 
like the open-mindedness and just when you find the right people who are like, actually, I don't know. Let's talk this through. And you're like, thank you. <laughs> like, let's talk this through. Yeah. All right, I want to get back to that because that's really interesting to me. I want to hear more about that. But I want to back up for a second for, to production. I'm curious about you, you start with viticulture and you get into production and, and then you and then you kind of fall out and back into viticulture. I'm, I'm curious about what about each what what about each kind of appealed to you? What, what, what about production? You mentioned production for travel, obviously, to start yeah. with. What about the actual process appealed to you and, and what and what made you happy to get back to farming? What was it that you kind of missed? The sun. <laughs> I love being outside so much. It was really hard to be, oh gosh, I like, I get chills thinking about being locked in a cellar so much right now. Um, I do love the process. I do love some of the people who are able to sustain cave life. <laughs> I, um, it's, for me, it just I I don't I can't tell what I've done in a day. It's like oh I just took an eight hours to like move one tank to another tank. Like it's really unsatisfying for me. It's like you know when you clean your bathroom, it takes 15 minutes and it looks amazing. <laughs> but it's like if you've got this world of process around you, it's hard to see unless it's in a bottle, which I also really don't like doing is bottling. <laughs> you know and and so my. My ex and I, we started a wine brand, and that really, you know, that turned me off a lot, too. Yeah. Small wine brands are tough. Yeah. And yeah. But I don't want to talk about that. Okay. We won't <laughs> ask about that, then. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to hear about that. I, it's like, it's a shitty situation still. <laughs> yeah. But wine, it's, it's nice. I like the estate type situation where you're able to grow something and follow it all the way through the bottle and like really work with someone you trust in a cellar um, that's able to kind of see the work you put in and kind of hone it in and guide it the way you guided it into what it eventually becomes. Mm -hmm. And I do love, I love drinking wine. Like I, I love the story that you tell yourself when you're drinking it of like how it was grown. That probably people who don't grow don't get to tell themselves. You know, like people who market tell the marketing, they probably tell a different story when they taste something. And I just think that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do appreciate wine. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I really appreciate people who are happy to work in a cellar. So once you got back out into the out into the vineyard and, and you and you're and you're up here, tell me about that kind of transition. You mentioned obviously the Calpers transition, mm -hmm. and then and then kind of taking all the way down and going all the way back up. Tell me about how that how that worked. How you kind of made that work in terms of the transitioning back to Oregon and then sort of losing vineyards and then gaining back a new a new business. I guess. Oh, um, well, I loved Oregon. I didn't really want to move when we moved, but I was excited about the opportunity and I was like, well. I'll give it a go and you know I kind of fling myself into things just being like I'm pretty sure I'll land on my feet like I don't know if not then I won't remember it <laughs> I'll be dead um, my kids don't need to hear that <laughs> um, yeah so I was really eager to move back up to Oregon it was like a game to play it was like this would cost this much in Sonoma you know like <laughs> like it was just really like felt like a place you could grow, set roots. There was a little pioneering that had happened, or a lot of pioneering that happened before, but there was still room. It felt like there was still adventure to be had up here. And um, I felt like the mindset of people involved 
in the valley, in the growing, in the industry up here, we're you know, coming at it not so much always from a business perspective, but out of like true passion and love and like ex expecting hardships and constant growth. Nothing had seemed completely figured out and I really appreciated that. The humility of knowing things will consistently change and grow and be what they're gonna be. If you wanna nurture it, then that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, being up in Oregon was wonderful again. I was in a position that I worked with Ken Copperman, who I think the world of. He's incredible. He taught me what a really good manager and leader looked like. Um, he was a real fan of like spoon feeding people and like not expecting them to know the answers or intimidate them if they don't. And I got to learn so much in a, about a year and a half before things just really started selling. And I mean, it's not just Ken Kupperman. There was like a deep-seated infrastructure of really intelligent viticulturists and all sorts of just background noise taken care of. Like, there, I didn't really have to deal with like finances and payroll and just the noise that real life is. And I just, I loved it. And then I, I got pregnant in 2013. And as the, it felt like right as the last property sold, um, Jackson hired... Ken, and I had, I was like, ugh. And I was offered to stay where I was and follow in like a really massive shoes. And then I was like, well, sink or swim, I need health insurance. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up just sticking it out. And I just remember like, I've given up in the beginning, it was so hard, but I'd given up those really precious moments of my newborn to like try to make this work. And I was like, you gave up that time, like stick with it. You've given up things you can't give back, you can't get back. So just stick with it and do the hard work. Don't make this for nothing. And I learned a lot of hard lessons on the way, but found myself pregnant again <laughs> two years later. And I'm like, here we go. But you know, at that time I'd settled in and I was building a really valuable team and kind of setting, setting a work-life balance for me, hiring the people that could be where I couldn't and that I trusted and that respected the choices we were making together. And, you know, that's really valuable to have a team that you can work with like that. And mm -hmm. yeah, so. It's a lot. It is a lot. Well, My kids were with me all the time in the beginning and we undertook cannabis one year and I was like, okay, <laughs> just when you're figuring one thing out, let's throw in 30 acres, sure, <laughs> okay. And, you know, I got to experience a lot of really cool developments. Um, never built reservoirs before or roads and, you know, just knowing that you've got a team behind you if all else fails, but also knowing that they trust you to just like ask the right questions. And, you know, you don't always have to know the right thing. You just have to know the options and kind of innovatively think of where will this lead us down the road? What, what disaster will come from this? <laughs> Should I think one more night on it? <laughs> or nope, it's gonna burn, do something now. You know, like sometimes it's a luxury to have another night to think on something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I got to, I remember I was planting the first vines at a property in um, Independence before the crew got there. It was like block one, here we go. And just throwing up so hard from morning sickness. <laughs> and so like, Parts of me are literally in vineyards I planted, and it's it's like really cool feeling, you know, to put that much love and effort into something and just watch it.
prosper. Yeah, I, I miss that role a lot, but it's, it's a lot calmer now, yeah. Yeah. So what were the expectations as, as you stepped into those, those shoes, as you stepped in and as they kind of stepped up, what were, the, what were Atlas's expectations and what, what, what were they hoping from you and, and, and how did you build that company and, the, and that yeah. acreage? I don't know what they were hoping. I mean, I think they were hoping to grow Oregon, the branch here. It's a pretty California heavy um, acreage profile. Um, I... I asked that myself a lot, like, what did they, why me? Like, I know proximity, I was there, I knew the acreage or whatever was left. And I really admired that they hired from within where they could. And that stuck with me a lot. Um, I don't know, they said they just believed in me. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm in those situations a lot. <laughs> just throw something out in the wind and you know, just have enough wits about you when you're flapping around to try to at least land on your back instead of your head if you're not going to make it on your feet. I was a soccer player, okay. <laughs> so I've been hit in the head a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, sometimes you just have to go for the ball and, like, you can't back off. I love running now, too. If I fall, I fall. But anyway, I don't know. I have an older brother, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned um, kind of watching Ken and learning from him. What were, the, what were some of the, the first steps you took when kind of assuming that leadership role? And what were some of the, the initial challenges outside of obviously being pregnant? What were some of the initial challenges with kind of getting things off the ground here in Oregon? Oh, wow. Um, well, there's so much uncertainty of like what we were going to farm. Can we maintain what we have? Um, you know, a lot of people still saw it as a California company. So, you know, just just being a local and speaking the local language and kind of having the same mentality. Uh, it was a really slow process, honestly. It was hard. It was a lot of hustle and hustle that I was uncomfortable with. Like, I am not really cut out for... I love vineyard management companies because you get to see a vast amount of acres and so many different issues every year that you really get to learn from, but it is... It's a really challenging place to be, and I, I don't envy people who own management companies, honestly, because it's so uncertain um, with what acres you'll be farming the next year, or, you know, you farm amazing all year, and then one thing happens on a budget, and you're like, oh, so now you don't want us? Or, or, someone, or you get someone's acreage, and you're like, dude, I don't know, but we need the acres too, and they left you, is this okay? And I don't know, you'll probably have them back in two years, and I don't know. But just, you know, like, trying to keep a team to be able to pay for their family's needs and, like, keep everyone employed and the cyclical nature, just, like, an estate, an organic estate, you know, it seems like the dream. And I'm, I think that's really cool about St. Joseph is um, they farmed all of these acres for some of them, like, 20 years, I think, this one. And every year it's the same clients We've grown a little bit this year, um, but most all of the wine gets made by Michael. So he, Michael Lundin, he's got, um, he makes his own wine, he makes Walnut City wine, but he also makes a lot of custom wines, mm -hmm. and almost all of that we get to grow. So I'm getting a taste of what that's like to farm for someone who actually like, is like, well, what do you think about this? 
because this is what it's going to turn into is my hope and like kind of catering towards that and I'm just like a really really great humble person yeah but it it's it's a lot of weight to be responsible for everyone's well-being and be the right face for someone or you know you've got to have a lot of experience under your belt to be taken serious and I don't I didn't have that at the time I I mean this is my I think my 17th year growing in a way but like it, it you know you've got to a lot of people have that bravado but I've been knocked back by mother earth so many times to be like to not kid myself that I've got the answers I've got a toolbox <laughs> that I can go back and look into and mm -hmm. really, really great network of people. Mm. And yeah, it's all about collaboration here, which I love. So I'm curious, as a, in, a, in a vineyard management role, uh, what, what, as you're building those relationships, as you're looking for places that you're going to farm and you're gonna, you're gonna be in charge of, what were you looking for? Was there a certain, is there a certain location or, or type of type of vineyard type of client how what are you looking for and what are they looking for in you how does that relationship happen and build well you look at where your team is from for like where you want to be and where you can get your your crews in or your tractor operators um, and so that was a big one for as we were small to kind of grow organically around where we wouldn't be asking too much of our team and where we knew we could get the work done um, you always want someone who can pay their bills and kind of lets you do what you're good at. Um, it's, it's tricky when, you know, some people, I love collaborating. I think I've said that already once or twice, but I, I have a really hard time when you come up with and I plan together and then it changes and then you get blamed for it later, you know? So just like, um, I don't, I don't really... You know, for a while, it's just like you need acres to be able to pay people and you just like, you don't get your pick. Ideally, you want someone that you're really proud to work for that shares the same ideals and philosophies of how you would personally grow if you had your own land. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you don't get to do that. And I learned this from Ken is like, always make your recommendation and then do what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard. But once it was like spelled out like that, I was like, okay. You know, and the dream is just to have my own place sometime. Not winery, but vineyard and have a farm. Yeah. Acreage, they come and go, but when you can hold on to it and when you really believe and you love the fruit and you like get to know those vines and yeah, that's, mm -hmm. yeah. Did I answer that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me about your, your sort of farming or, or vineyard philosophy and, and maybe how it's changed over the years. What, how do you farm, and, and, and how has that kind of evolved as you've evolved? Um, I've always been pretty earthy. Um, I always feel like sometimes more is just, it's too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, less is more. If you're really in tune and you're just, you're just there. I, I love that Miranda July book, Being There. Like, <laughs> it just, I... Uh, it just, if you're there, you see things and you can be so much more proactive than reactive. And, you know, the farmer I want to be is one that's there so much more. So I'm constantly trying to be as available as I can and just like see everything right before it happens mm -hmm. and like 
that's always the goal. I really love um, actual organic farming. I don't like organic when the lights are out or like grocery <laughs> store organic. You know, and not like the greenwashing. I'm not in it for a certification. I, I, I don't like the propaganda around organic or biodynamic. I respect the actual work. I can respect anything if it makes you a more viable contributor into working towards what you're trying to get plants to do mm. and soils and the whole realm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I, I do farm a lot of live sites um, and I really respect live. I feel like it's been the catalyst to get people to understand that there is an ease into becoming more green. I think they've got a nice toolbox for farmers who have an economical threshold of what, like a livelihood to keep up. Um, and I think you get a lot of value out of the people involved with live in the community and just it opens it up to like an even playing field of like this information is necessary for me to get quickly because I've got a problem and you've got the most brilliant minds in the valley able to chime in. And I, I really do respect life. I know a lot of organic BD people have a hard time with it because of regulations of what they allow now. But I know firsthand that a lot of those, you know, like hot topics are, you know, you have to be careful with how you deal with them. And it's always like it's the nice spoon feeding baby steps into a better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get a hold of what the problem is right now and slowly back away, like no knee-jerk reactions. But yeah, I mean, my own, my own garden at home is all organic. And, you know, whenever we can, we make the best choice we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people are really amenable to that now. It's becoming so much more mainstream. And, uh, yeah, just culture is knocking on that door more so it makes it easier for people you know we always follow what's ever relevant and we're all cows in some way just <laughs> fine i love cows <laughs> don't eat them but i love them <laughs> yeah. we've talked a couple times about the the, the the toolbox we hear a lot about this from from vineyard people you have you yeah. have this toolbox and then obviously organic farming makes that a much smaller toolbox so, so tell me about balancing that with learning what you can do and, and how much how much more or more often you have to do things to, to, to maintain organic and to be proactive versus reactive i think it's very site specific i think you need to make sure the way you lay out your vineyard and just where you where everything is falling you just need to make sure it's it's the appropriate choice for your vineyard you don't want to inoculate the valley with Mildew. I mean, if you can help it, if you if it's an uphill battle, maybe you shouldn't plant there. Um, yeah, I think the toolbox is kind of commonly used in the vineyard world. You're right. I don't say it very much, but it's like it gets the point across. Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. uh, there's like the wheelhouse and there's the toolbox, and I I can't remember. There was a podcast I was listening to where they were trying to break down the difference of the two, but it. Um, yeah, it's like wheelhouse your experience and toolbox is what you've got ab able available to you. And so with, I will say there's a lot more organic options now. So that has severely increased our ability to farm a certain way. There's just so many brilliant people working to find chemistries. And I mean, they're great right now. Will they be in five years or will that be the thing that made us all die of brain cancer? I don't know, but right now, 
the information we have is what we go off of. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for information we have about things we know are bad for us. And so if we can reduce the risk of a known evil and then a potential benign something, um, then I think we, we take that option. And the prices are coming down. It's still relatively expensive. And with organic, you're probably, depending on your site, you're spraying at least a third more sprays. Um, but I mean, you can farm something with sulfur all year and just hit it at bloom or closure with a systemic, a soft systemic, soft chemistry, or, you know, you can make these choices. There's a lot of supposed recipes that people think aren't recipes because they're, they're putting their own salt in, you know, or they're doing this just a little different or, but I mean, it's really, it all comes down to being there. And like the best farming is proactive farming. Like curative sprays don't really work. Tell me about when you're you see a, you go to a new a vineyard for the first time and you're and you're asked to to you're thinking about it, it's going to be something you're going to be working with. What do you look for? How do you judge a site but you that you haven't worked with before? And and what at what point do you feel like this? I, yes, this is something I want to work with. No, this is something I don't. This is not something I want to work with. Well, getting to say no is a luxury. Well, <laughs> clearly. Maybe um, I'd rather work with this one than this one, perhaps. Well, actually, I really love where I'm at right now because they, they do say no a lot. They do. They're like, I don't think it's worth our time. This seems like it might be a pain in the ass to work with, or we just don't have the resource. Like, we're, they're not going to, I don't know. Like, it, I love that. They're like, no, this is exactly what we can farm in us if they want it to come down. Like, that's just us lying to them. So they're probably better off finding someone else you know <laughs> like and I really appreciate that mentality because it didn't exist in my life before here mm -hmm. um I feel like when you're standing on a site you really if you take the second to digest where you are and just like let it come into you you get a really good sense you get a good sense of all the polyculture you get a good sense of how it was cared for before if it was its fault for how it was cared for or like what what small things you could do to invest in it for one year and what you could do to invest in it for five years and is the owner willing to do that and um you know it's really hard to farm for someone who's like no i want eight tons per acre um yeah i got 12 foot spacing you're like i'm not a magician <laughs> like, I, you know like there's little things that so it has to be someone who's amenable to listening to your expertise um, and, and just the feeling from it. Like, mm -hmm. has the soil been treated okay? Like, is there anything we can do right off the bat? <laughs> yeah. My dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's so cute. And then, what about, and then what about, as you're working with a place, getting to know it? What's that process like in terms of how, how long did it take you to get to know it? And, and what do you feel like you're looking for in a space to, to know it, to know it, to know what you need to do with it? You know, some vineyards, I feel like I farm for years and I still never know them. I really, I can't attach to them. And some vineyards I get like right away. I, I'm a very visual person too. So if there's like a bad map, <laughs> like something like that my brain just won't connect with it and I I'll it'll just be something I farm mm -hmm. um, and I don't like that I don't I like to be involved some sites I get to know really a lot I find myself visiting them way more frequently and I'm just I'm drawn to this site I come here 
probably more than any other site, not just for the figs. But I just, I love it. I feel like I can walk, I can see things, it makes sense to me. The layout was well done. Um, it's not constantly a headache, it's not constantly rethinking something. Like there was one vineyard I worked at, and you might have interviewed someone up there, but it's um, 13 acres on seven different spacings. And I just, like, I, I couldn't love it. <laughs> I had a really hard time loving it, and it was like, I got the magical feeling when I was there, but it was, logistically, I couldn't, I couldn't be my best self there. And it, it was hard to know where to start, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you, you talked about Ideally, uh, you have you, you have your own vineyard space sometime, and, and let's assume you have no limitations. What what does your ideal vineyard look like if you're if you're building it from scratch? Mm, I really like slightly wider spacing. Um, I planted a vineyard right here that I actually quite love. Um, just three acres right now, but we just did a little soil prep. The pH was naturally imbalanced. There was so much great organic compound like material there that we really didn't have to do many additions. Um, got the layout, just it just like the hillside made sense. Mm -hmm. And we barely did any land prep, so no ripping and just dist enough and then let all the natural seed come back. And it was all vetch and like grasses and rise and it was really beautiful. And then we haven't needed to, we just let it go. And so we did a lot of hand watering, but we haven't had to cultivate anything. And just, I'd really like to see soils kind of balance themselves and you don't always get it right, but if you have the luxury of being there time and year again, you will get it right. And so long as the vines are getting what they need, the soil's getting also. Like, and, it, and then you can walk away feeling like you, were, you did what that soil wanted from you and the vines are getting what they need. So that reciprocation. I really love the McMinnville AVA. Um, there's just something so brooding about it. And I like the affordability, like the discoverability that's out there. Um, that being said, I live in Carleton and I love it. Like just really, really mellow hills with lots of just soft fruit. And I don't know. I, I think I'd be happy anywhere. And I think that there's not something very, very specific I'm looking for. It's like whatever kind of finds me. I wanted a dog, but I didn't go look for a dog. This dog found me about a year ago. And that, that's kind of how I feel like it's going to happen. But I, I would love definitely organic, nice wide spacing, lots of polyculture, um, just really, really healthy soils. And um, I'm not crazy into like the oddity plannings, but I do. I want to experiment with a couple different things. And I was able to put some fun stuff in some places. and. I want to keep doing that. I'm not like anti-Pinot at all. I'm not anti-Chardonnay. I love them. They're just incredible, but there's just like a lot of exploring out there. And I, I know I'd be reeled in and I would probably plant at least half to, you know, security, mm -hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned polyculture a couple of times. It's a term that we've heard a lot more lately when it comes to, to vineyard, like sort of layout and design. Tell me what you, what you mean by that and why it's, why it's important to you in a vineyard. Ooh. Well, nothing exists on its own. You need so many things that work together far beyond my simple understanding of it. I love people who specify them, their life work into one aspect of it and I kind of 
pick and choose the little pieces that I pretend I understand. But when you see it working together, you can't deny it. So just the variability of what exists and not killing off things that are supposed weeds or pests. Like we all work together. It's like when you think you've made a mistake and it turns out to be something that really promoted your life in a positive way, it's like why do we suppose that this is a negative thing? Why, why can't we have it all? I love permaculture. I, I can't do animal husbandry. I've not, I'm not cut out for it. But um, I love people who can incorporate that into their world too. Yeah. Had a lot of goats in my life. <laughs> not, <laughs> it's too much. Uh, you, you, you talked also about like kind of uh, different brand, different types of grapes other than the sort of classic Pinot and Chardonnay. What, what, what other grapes are kind of exciting to you right now? What would you like to see more mm. of or, or like to dabble in yourself? Huh. Well, I love a lot of the heritage clones as well. Um, I'd love to see, well, I mean, I could spurt off a few, but I... I don't know if it's something that I'm going to feel tomorrow. I'd love to see more Sauvignon Blanc and some Chenin and even Syrah. I think we could do it here. Um, you, I mean, it all comes back to sight. You can't just be like, I had this bottle last night. It was great. I've got this acre. Let's try. Like, you, you need to think things through and not n be secure in your answer, but like to be willing to try. Um, and those aren't necessary oddities. I love what people are doing with Gamay and Alagote right now, but I, I don't know what the market's going to lean towards. I mean, those are the things that people just can't get their hands on fast enough right now. Um, I was lucky enough to plant a 20-acre all-Chardonnay vineyard with like seven different cult like cult of, or clones of Chardonnay, and I love that. And then I got cold feet right at the end, and I put in an acre of Pomard. I just like was like, what am I doing? And he let me. He let me have free reign, and I loved it. And then I just got so like, ha! Ah, it's very cool. But I don't know. I feel like I want the long leash so that I can rein myself in. <laughs> yeah, and I I want um, I don't know. I would love lots of lots of trees and fruits and gardens and the intermingling of them. And yeah, I mean, I, you just want a place that's safe for your kids to walk through. Yeah. So tell us about sort of your, your, your current project. You brought up Michael Lundin earlier and, and kind of the project here. Tell me about sort of how things have changed for you recently or, uh, and simplified for you and, and what your project is now uh, that you're working on or how you describe your, your, your current project. I went through a revamp in my life. I got rid of a lot of bad things all at the same time. Um, and I really took a good look and I thought about leaving the industry. I thought about what else do I really enjoy doing? I love running and yoga, not super lucrative. Um, but I, it kept coming back to viticulture. And I was like, am I really ready to walk away from like 15, 16 years of something? And that's a lot, that's a lot of comfort and just like having something in your back pocket to fall back on. And I was like, well, I know I never want to be a vineyard manager again, because to me that represents starting crews, um, all the coordination of managing people. And I love viticulture, and I have worn that hat 
for so long. It's like, what do I really want to do? What has the best work-life balance in forms of a title and like what I want to see with my life? I, um, yeah, I decided I'm, I'm not going to be a vineyard manager. I was like, it's a weird name, but give me something with viticulture in it. And so I, I think, I think it's like viticulture operations manager right now, which is basically a vineyard manager. But I just, I don't have to start the cruise. Mm -hmm. I prep everything the day before and check in with them and just, I answer my phone whenever it rings, but I don't have to be there and I can be with my kids. And that was the most important thing. Like when everything kind of just, I was removed. Like the one thing I still had was my kids and I was like, I am a mother. Okay, <laughs> how can we make this work? And I really think a lot of people discount work-life balance and I, I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't think people are gonna remember you by how hard you worked, you know? I think people are, people are gonna remember if you were a good person, if you gave a lot back. Yeah, and like, I just, I think you can work really, really efficiently if you're in a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I am working 30-ish hours a week right now, which doesn't really exist in farming, but th it like makes me feel better, you know? And it's, it's got a lot of challenges, um, and I don't know if it's forever, but I'm so grateful that they were willing to be like, yeah, yeah, actually, that sounds great. You want go for it. Okay, here we go. Again, flinging myself into the wind of something I know to be impossible. <laughs> that Bukowski quote, um, it's a matter of style in the face of no chance at all. It like is always in the back of my head. It's like, show up. <laughs> you probably won't, probably won't walk away doing the best, but you can just show up and see what happens. It's an interesting way to, yeah. to approach things. I like it. I, yeah, I had to move every year and a half of my life when I was little. So I was just constantly being like, how am I going to adapt? And so, I mean, it's a fault at times, like being that adaptable and just like seeing where you kind of end up. But it also provides a lot of really interesting experiences. And my friend base, they notice I'm a magnet for really interesting people. And I will... People will tell me crazy stuff all the time, or I'll just they'll walk up to me and tell me things. And I'm like, okay, you probably really needed to tell someone that I'm glad I was here, but I have to go. <laughs> like, you can't follow me home. Like, it, it, I mean, it, that mentality helps a lot of doors open, but they're not always doors you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know much about my backstory, but okay, that's good. We're good. <laughs> Pretty much what you told us today. Good. Uh. <laughs> Um, you talked a bit about uh, about work-life balance and about kind of finding finding your way, especially as as a mother. Obviously, your your role is not typically one held by women. It's becoming more and more more and more common, of course. But I'm sort of curious about your sort of path through as a woman in, in, in vineyard management uh, and and how it's, how you felt in fitting in the industry. Well, if you did know my backstory, that would be a funny segue. Um, I. I don't know if I often think about the fact that I am a woman. I recognize that I think about my strengths differently. I know that I can't come in and just hook up a PTO the way someone twice my size can. And so I try to really lean on knowing my strengths and surrounding myself with people who can fill in my gaps and that, that we've got that combination. Um, yeah, Oregon was really attractive for that reason. I know that there were so many more Oregon or women winemakers here and viticulturists and my core group of girlfriends were all viticulturists and like 
we're just it's just the relationships you build and like the trust you have with people. So f for me, I f sometimes I can tell people treat me a little differently, but I mean, you grow up as a female, so it's like it's the same thing you incur on a life basis. And if there was ever gonna be um, an industry where you're kind of a minority, this is a really open-minded group. and. Yeah, I think of it more as like, what are my strengths and weaknesses? And I don't find being a woman a weakness by any means. And I, I would hate that I even just said that. Like, it's so clearly not. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have that uh, female police mentality of I have to prove myself. Yeah, I think we have to work a lot harder. But I think the people who are working a lot harder are already inclined to be the hard workers. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're necessarily working harder to be respected. I think they're just naturally, intrinsically, that type of person. And I mean, in having to find that balance between work and life, you, you've got to really be inventive of how can I get this done correctly, with integrity, in this amount of time, and be there to get my kids <laughs> by five. I mean, they're, they're not gonna wait for you, and so you've gotta be really efficient and thoughtful and use your resources. And I do feel that people trust my integrity and um, know that at face value this is what they get. And I don't, I feel like people are pretty disarmed, you know? Mm. And I think that about most people in this industry. Most. Always most. Yeah. Always most. Do you feel that pressure? is, how to phrase this question? I, I, I always hate asking the question because we always ask it of women, and, and, I, and I'm wondering if, the, if that pressure is more acute as a woman in the industry. Mm -hmm. The pressure to be there, the pressure to find, to find that balance. We don't ask that question of men very often, so do you feel like the pressure is applied internally or, or, or externally? I believe internally. I think we're very, well, I'm very hard on myself for performance. And I certainly put my time in to be where I'm at now. I gave a lot of myself. I was swimming upstream with so much work. And I mean, I had to keep it going or it was a failure. And I refused to let it be a failure because of what I gave up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more to prove that I could do it. And I. I I've been in many situations where I've forgotten that I'm a female. You know, like I, I feel like it's just human nature to want to feel satisfied with your work at the end of the day. And I just couldn't get to that point of satisfaction without really investing and in playing catch up for a long time. And so I, I feel at a point in my life where it's like I have put my time in. And I think most people in their 20s and 30s feel that way. Like it's just common capitalistic approach like bang 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 here's your pension you know go enjoy the keys <laughs> like yeah I, so I feel I put my time in and then I became wise enough to know that that was not a way of life I wanted mm -hmm. and I'm grateful I'm a mother because I might be doing the same you never know but once you have to lay out your priorities and what really matters to you it's that's a no-brainer mm -hmm. like this is what's here for me in the long run and you know, I'd love to believe I'll still be involved 
and everything, but it's like, that's the unknown. Mm -hmm. Like, these are my children, and yeah. And they're cute. <laughs> they are. <laughs> that's, that's how the young, these young mammals survive, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, so what are the, the differences you've seen in, in Oregon since you've been a part of the industry here? What, what's changed the most from when you entered to now in, in the industry oh, wow. as a whole? Or in, or in any part of the industry, if it's, if it's viticulture specific or if it's the valley specific, what, what, what are the changes you've noticed? I'd say the sheer growth. I mean, I first moved out here in 08, so I feel like I really had just missed that wave of not needing an education necessarily to be in a pretty nice position. Um, and so 08 was also the economic depression and like a lot of people were cutting back and it was, it was kind of hard to find a position for anyone with uh, an education that time. And so I kept working at it and found some really cool spots. Um, but just now I feel like there's just so many vineyards. There's so many brands. Um, there's a lot of saturation. It feels, I still think it's special, but I feel like it's, sometimes you have to remind yourself that it's special because it's, well, I mean, no one's been eating out lately, but when you go to a restaurant, it was like really disheartening to see Italian, Spanish imports when you, or ex whatever. But like when you're, you're like, I just, all these cool places are around here. Why aren't we working with them? And I don't know, there's just so many people doing it themselves. I feel like it, it almost felt um, like you had to have a special invite to do it before. And now with campuses, across the West Coast, East Coast, um, really cool viticulture and knowledge programs. I mean, they're making it available to people who never even knew it was an option. Like when I was in Germany, they're like, my friends in the US would be like, why aren't you going to beer school? Like, what, wine? They have wine over there? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to bratwurst school. Like, give me a break, I don't know. But it just, yeah, people don't know that there's options like these out there. Like, Maybe not even that long before I was born. It was like teacher, doctor. Like these are the things you think you can aspire to. Mm -hmm. and there's just so many cool things. What about as you look ahead for Oregon? What do, what do you see the industry looking like over the next, say, five, ten years? I think there's going to be a big focus on bringing it back home. Um, really turning inwards to what's important to us here, protecting kind of what we have and making sure we're doing the right thing with it instead of exploitation is my hope. I really feel that there's gonna be a lot of investment into protecting all of the crops in Oregon and respecting them um, and working together. We've got so much uh, and, and t so many like so many people who really care about what they're doing and they're doing it at the top of their game and working together. I really, really hope that that's where this turns. There's a lot of land still being purchased and I think there's a big gulp of air happening right now, like hopefully of like, let's see what we've got. Let's take a moment before we're just rushing into something because the bank says we can. Like, let's be really thoughtful and let's do the best of what we've got. There's not a race, you know? And that's my hope for it. Just 
keeping the integrity where it, from where it started. I'm curious about your, your worst use of the word exploitation there. What do you mean by exploitation? Um, well, I guess there's two sides of the fence. Like when Jackson family moved up, there was a lot of concern about all this outside proprietorship of Oregon soils and how they were going to farm it. And they did a remarkable job. I was so impressed because I watched it, but I was also farming for them in 13, watching how they interacted with us and the properties and just the meetings they would hold and just like thinking. And I came up from California too, so I had already had an earful. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, let's see what happens here. Do I have a good seat? Can I see it all? And like, they came in and just really open-armed, like this is our goal. And like, we're not here to push anyone over. Instead, they put a highlight on the Willamette. They, they really brought a lot of notoriety and they're still making incredible wines. Um, so I, I guess there's two sides of it. It depends how it, how it happens. Mm -hmm. Exploitation is definitely very negative and I, I remember a lot of positive coming from that. And it's like, could that happen again and could it stay that positive? We don't know. Could we turn into like a great Pacific Northwest growing region and kind of have this sistership from with Washington and Idaho a little bit better and like yeah I think that's already happening mm -hmm. and I yeah I think anything that's done for the right reason you know if it's if it's really like a pure hope I, it usually turns out good mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. naivety <laughs> optimism optimism, optimism. Um, Obviously, we're, we're talking to you in July of 2020, uh, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic right now still. I'm, I'm curious how it's affected your work and, and your life, and maybe if it, how it's affected maybe your view of, of the future for the industry. I, I wish I had a crystal ball. I <laughs> really do. I'm so concerned, but there's only so much concern can do except maybe spark a few new ideas of innovation. Um, I'm very fortunate to still have work. I'm very fortunate my partner still has work. I am very fortunate that my kids are able to be in daycare. I, I really am just filled with so much gratitude and um, I, I know where I'm at and I know where a lot of people wish they were and it's, it's a, a real big moment to reflect on what truly is important. And um, I know it's deeply affected at restaurants and um, sales, and that will always come back down to the vineyard. It's like we've had people that are uncertain of falling through on contracts, and that happened in March this year. I've had blocks that I couldn't farm, just basically bare minimum. It's not even planning to go into wineries, and I. I'm really adverse to the knee-jerk reaction, I, but I understand people have a lot of different reasons for why they do things and just to respect what people need, the choices they need to make for themselves, but mm. um, we've had to put in you know, protocols in our, in our vineyards, but luckily we're outside all the time and we've got pretty much six feet between every row, so I've been really fortunate. I get to cruise around a lot with just me and my buddy and you just hope you're taking the precautions you can because once it does hit, if it does hit a small business, it's very impactful. 
-hmm. everything will be I mean that's a big worry of ours to you know uh, oh gosh it gives me like you know I was like oh gosh what will we do and it's like okay well we still have this connection with this FLC and like we got these tractor operators and if we needed to forego this you know just have to stay at top of the communication of like where you're at and client expectations and what you can actually do mm -hmm. but there's you know it's never good to live inside fear but it's good to be guided by <laughs> what you don't want to happen mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so just keeping as safe as you can keeping your head down not being a dumbass I mean, who knows? You like you fed one piece of information one day, and the something mm -hmm. of a similar of a 180 the next, and you're just like, all I got is common sense, I guess. Like, what <laughs> what can I ground myself on there? And it's like just hunker down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about as you look ahead to harvest this year? How will it be different? I think we're all still kind of, you know, day by day hoping something kind of falls through it's it's a big topic um, it's it's a hard one to navigate it really will be very challenging and that's just me thinking on the vineyard side I, like the winery side they've got their own issues they've been dealing a lot with like the internship you know, lack of labor and I mean there's a lot of close proximity when it comes to harvest and luckily it's early in the mornings and we you know we won't be we'll be able to wear our masks and oh I it's it's a lot to be known I don't know there's mm -hmm. a lot of great groups right now working on that and a lot of groups working together to try to find the way to mitigate that I mean uh, we're not the only agricultural crop here um, it's it's like you just want everyone to go home safe and it's like were they endangering their family for grapes like it's hard mm -hmm. it's hard yeah mm -hmm. but you're also you know giving them a paycheck too or you know I don't know how that comes across but it's yeah it's a scary time yeah 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 just a lot of precaution and yeah, expectations, just keeping them reasonable. So what about as you look ahead for yourself? What, what do you see for the next, say, five, ten years for yourself and, and for your, your, the work you're doing now? Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've made the choice to not leave viticulture for this, this moment. Um, I do love it. I get so soul-fed. So I, I think I'll just keep growing within it and it's really fun to watch people I met in 2008 and see them in like excellent positions right now and just tell you how far they've come and be like, oh, that probably happened to me too. You know, like, and I imagine the same will happen again and again and again. And, you know, being a mother is a really grounding thing and just watching, having to navigate around children and their needs and vines and their needs and just knowing when to give in and when not to. I think it's a constant learning experience and I just hope to keep learning. I hope to never be bored. I hope I hope for the opportunity to keep learning. Yeah. There's so much out there. It's crazy. Come here, buddy. If some if someone were to ask you about joining the Oregon wine industry today, especially let's say viticulture side of things, what what would your advice be? What would your words of wisdom be? 
just to move up here and be part of the industry. Sure. Or, yeah. or if they're already here and they're in school, for example, or oh, just, yeah. just wanting, to, wanting to join the industry tomorrow, what, what would you tell them? Do the work. Yeah. Nothing's free. Um, be an honest, transparent person. Be willing to learn and listen. And go take a bunch of classes with Patty Skinkus. <laughs> I want to take her classes every single day. And I'm like, oh man. Yeah, just there's so much available to learn here if you're just listening. I think this is a very inviting community, but don't expect to get ahead with no work. It's like, it holds you to it. Mm -hmm. All right, that's, that's awesome. a little hard. But that's okay, I like it. That's okay. People will need, you can't just tell them it's going to be simple and easy work, you know? No, but I mean, people will help you if you're honest. People will help you if you ask them a legit question and come at it clear-minded and don't suppose to know the answers. Yeah. Is that unique here in Oregon? I think it's a bolstered characteristic of the people here, yeah. I, I did spend time in Sonoma, Napa, so I... I feel like I had a taste of something very different. Even though this exists down there in small pockets, um, it's a different animal. It's a, it's a different beast. You can learn a lot down there too, but I, I don't get the cutthroat mentality up here. I get the, hey, if you're a person who like cares as much as like the vines need you to or the wine needs you to, you'll be just fine. Mm -hmm. It lets you grow with it, yeah. All right, well, that's all the questions that I have for you today. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Is there anything we didn't cover today that we should have covered? I don't know. You reminded me that I said a couple words the same, like, over and over again. That's okay. No, that's, that's okay. Everybody, everybody does. It shows yeah. you what you're really thinking about. What, what yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's all good. I don't know. It was great. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I need some chapstick. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time thank today, you. for your stories, for finding this beautiful place for us to have this interview. That's nice. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> and we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.